Today on the Stay Healthy Experience, I am past excited. Actually, I'm delighted. And you are too, because we have a guest who is going to open your eyes to something that most people have no idea about. Even the ones who know a lot about it. You don't want to miss it because we're talking about immunity. We're talking about overall health. We're talking about thriving with your life. And a lot of it begins in a place that most people aren't even thinking about. It's called the gut. And she has a new book. We're going to be talking all about it. So let's talk shit. <laughs> See how you're laughing? It makes people laugh. Well, I'm supposed to laugh. Okay. Is that good? That was the whole Did purpose, I laugh in there too? The it just yeah. felt right. It felt right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Probably the first time you've said it on this show. Right, really? Yeah. No, actually, I've said it. No, you said it a few times. I've said it a few times. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dropped a few bombs. Okay. So we're going to get this party started, and we appreciate uh, you being here. Um, Thank you. Barbara, my co-host, yes. is very excited to meet you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into it, let me just lay the foundation. okay? Because yes. my goal is to represent the people who have no knowledge Perfect. about what we're about to talk about. Right. So every once in a while, I may come back with an elementary approach sure. to bring clarity to what you mean by let's talk shit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I think every time I say that, I'm going to laugh today. I know. Yes. And, and everyone and, and must get this. Laughter is healing, right? Yes. We it, need laughter. Yes. That's for we sure. need comedy. So do us a favor and just kind of give us a little bit of background as far as your credentials to becoming the person that you are in this space. Okay. So I'm a gastroenterologist and um, basically started doing GI like all my gastroenterology friends. And then started off my GI doing research. My first year of GI actually was a whole year of fellowship doing research. And my attending, I graduated with, the, with a research award, and my attending um, said to me at the time, you should really keep up with your research. You're really good at it. And at the time, I was like, no, I want to be a GI doctor. I want to scope, and I want to take care of GI bleeders at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so that was the beginning of my life. I was doing 90% GI. and Now tell I, people what GI is. Yeah. Gastroenterology. They're thinking, is she talking about the military? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> is that, is that GI Jane? <laughs> it's, it's almost the military, except we come out with the scope. You know, you've all heard about get your colonoscopy at 50. Well, that's what I've been doing, you know, uh-huh. 20,000 times. You know, Jeez. I've done over 20,000 colonoscopies, you know, and gastroscopies and you go inside of a scope and you cauterize blood vessels for people that are bleeding, etc. So the field is actually an amazing field because so much of it is done inside without having to go through surgeries. Mm. So that was what was exciting to me was really being like a GI Jane was GI, you know, it was just right. like you go in <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning and you're cauterizing a blood vessel and you save a life, you know. Or you remove a quarter from a kid that swallowed it oh. in his esophagus, and then you give back the quarter to the parents. You know, those are the things that were exciting, right? Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the line, colonoscopy after colonoscopy, and, you know, the, the field went from, like, you know, medications, doctors giving prescriptions and being a doctor to, you know, following these guidelines to just writing prescriptions after prescriptions. And then we went from antibiotics to proton pump inhibitor, Perlosec to biologics. And somewhere along the line, the field lost interest. I lost interest in that field because that's not why I went into medicine. I went into medicine to be an artist, 
to mm-hmm. understand, to be a detective, right? And so research started becoming more, more interesting to me. And so I started doing clinical trials and uh, you know, was helping at the beginning my sister, who's like the Costco of clinical trial research. She brought <laughs> ivermectin to the market. She brought uh, Harvoni, the, the cure for hepatitis C, to the market. She's done a wow, ton of work. Um, in fact, uh, one time she did a study on pap smears and recruited all the prostitutes in LA on her study. So in a way, <laughs> cleaned up uh, LA. So she's really been wow. a hero in my eyes. And I was kind of on the side, you know, watching and doing a little bit of research. And then little by little, I think about 16 years ago, I just went in fully and started doing a lot more trials and was known as the queen of C. diff in the clinical trial world. Mm. Oh, it didn't help that in this community, we had a lot of Clostridium difficile, right? I mean, from patients that Mm -hmm. get antibiotics, etc. We just did a show on C. diff, by the way. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I was known as the queen of C. diff because I would (laughs) recruit patients and bring them uh, to my office. This is my my cell phone. Okay. <laughs> She's so, an important lady. Yeah, let's just make sure it's fine. <laughs> um, so essentially what happened is um, we started re- recruiting for clinical trials. So we did a lot of studies for pharmaceutical companies. And the reason I was so popular is because when patients would come for C. diff trial, if they didn't succeed on the trial because they got placebo or they they didn't get better, I would do fecal transplant on them. And fecal transplant, which is basically taking stools from a healthy donor, usually the wife, the kids, the, you know, someone, the spouse meaning, not necessarily just the wife, mm-hmm. um, we would, I would see like 99% success. And when mm-hmm. I started doing that, and I remember I was the chief of medicine at Community Memorial Hospital when I started here in Ventura doing fecal transplant. And I said, we need to bring this to the hospital. We shouldn't be treating that and you know back then everybody was like oh no it's still research it's still research and mm-hmm. you know look how long it took to get right. to this level now right? someone wow. at home is going okay what is she talking exactly. about fecal transplant okay yes so fecal transplant is you take stools from a healthy donor that you check you verify everything that they don't so have ha- any- what is that phone yeah. call like i know hey can you what check is, out your um, poop can you come over um <laughs> i need to borrow some of your poop yes <laughs> well you should see my field is even you know i i always collect stools so i'm like the stool collector i'm like don't forget to give me your stool sample right so they're you know so people laugh because nobody likes to play with their stools right. yeah alone. we like to flush and it and i'm like okay i don't want to hear about it just do it, do it quickly, give it to me in a tube. But anyways, how does it happen? So people that have C. diff, they're extremely sick. They have diarrhea. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when they have, um, they either end up in the hospital or they're completely um, debilitated and need antibiotics, right? So mm-hmm. we try first wow. the standard, vancomycin, the flagel, mm-hmm. the fedaxomycin. Those are the treatment for C. diff, right? When that doesn't work, what I used, what I do is I would put them on clinical trials because that's much easier. It's always easier to do a protocol where the FDA is watching and you just follow the protocol like a recipe, right? And okay. if it works, it works. If not, then we would do fecal transplant. Mm-hmm. What is fecal transplant? When these patients are at that level, they don't care. You can do anything, you know, you, you tell them what you're about to do. Everybody mm-hmm. gets a laugh. And usually I pick, like I said, the spouse. So it's always, you know, best because to me that's like the best compatibility. 
between microbes. They've lived together for 40 years. You know yeah. how like husband and wife uh, start complimenting each mm-hmm. other and they, you know, they're so compatible together. So that's, to me, that's the best owner, right? So mm. I would take the wife's poop and give it to the husband and, you know, she would bring a sample and then I would essentially do a colonoscopy, clean out the whole colon. So they, of course, clean up the day before. Mm. We give them antibiotics oh. for about 10 days before because we want to clean out all the bacteria in the gut. In the existing, like yes, existing. everything. Yeah. We want to kind of sterilize the gut as much as possible. Then we go in via colonoscopy after we clean them out and they have a clean colon, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, we take stools from the wife and we go all the way to the cecum at the end of the colon mm-hmm. right which is and then you we basically infuse it in the colon and then i lift up my patients in a trendelenburg position keep them in the operating you know the recovery room and that's it that's so that it much takes it. does is there such thing as rejecting yes there fecal. is rejection so i i've had one rejection and it, i picked poorly <laughs> I picked the wife and I didn't know that the husband and wife, and it was kind of interesting mm. uh, story. They didn't get along at all. Uh, <laughs> and neither did, and neither and did I, their and shit. I, and I mean, I joke <laughs> at this, there's no data, there's no scientific data on any of this. This is uh-huh. kind of like, I mean, there's scientific data on fecal transplant working. Mm. There's no scientific data on like which donor oh. should you pick, I, you know, so I, <laughs> uh, so in this case, this patient, the husband and wife, didn't get along and <laughs> and it it went all the way to the fecal material because he had a complete rejection where he became febrile blood pressure dropped wow. at night so, wow. so he, there are risks i mean this is not a without a risk procedure so what's interesting is i ended up uh, using his daughter and he had a really good take with that uh, but of course there are risks we're still finding this patient was extremely complicating it wasn't even c diff there were so many other you know, problems that he had on -hmm. top of that. And it was, uh, it's probably one of my most challenging cases because I'm still, I still take care of all my patients, you know, I mean, I still follow them, et cetera. But for the most part, we've had tremendous success with fecal transplant. So, So, okay, tell me if I'm I'm picking this up. So if you look up the data from like all the GI doctors that do fecal transplant, Mm -hmm. you know, Alex Kurutz, Neil Stallman, Zane Kassam, Colleen Kelly, uh, you know, Paul Fierstadt, so many doctors um, uh, do fecal transplant, Jessica Allegretti. So we basically all, you know, see each other at meetings and we all talk about our experiences. You know, I'm kind of outside the group because I'm not academic. I'm a clinical researcher that's on my own. I do research with pharmaceutical companies Mm. to bring their products to market, right? And so... When the product became fecal material in a capsule, I got really intrigued, and I really and I said, "Wait!" So we went from <laughs> antibiotics to biologics, and now we're in the shit business. Pardon right. my pun. Mm-hmm. And I said, "We don't understand what's going on. How we accomplish it? How is this happening? How is taking stools from a person from a spouse to another? How is that happening?" So I started going on an investigation. And I started, uh, basically, I went to Dr. Sidney Feingold, who is the doctor who wrote the book on anaerobic bacteria. And mm-hmm. I said, Sidney, what am I finding when I'm looking at the microbiome and what I'm, when I'm 
improving a patient, right? Mm-hmm. And I had had different cases that I had improved. One in particular was a Alzheimer's patient who had C. diff. And that was my first case that was kind of an awakening into the microbiome. Um, I had had other cases, Crohn's disease improving, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, psoriasis improving, just sporadic. They had C. diff. And then that's why, you know, all of us that do fecal transplant kind of gather at these meetings because Colleen Kelly had a guy that had alopecia areata, baldness, uh-huh. and two patients actually, and she wrote up the data, they improved after fecal transplant. Something happened, right, that grew hair. Something happened that gave my Alzheimer's patient his memory for a short time, right, when we did fecal transplant. Mm-hmm. So that something is really what I was interested in. And Dr. Feingold said to me, mm-hmm. here's my protocol on Alzheimer's and a group of bacteria that I discovered with Alzheimer's because he did cultures. He goes, put it in a safe. When you get your genetic sequencing lab, you're going to understand. You're going to prove what I, I found. So he huh. passed away during the Wolsey fire. And I get a phone call from the family saying, you have all his, he's giving, we're giving you all his books, oh, his wow. papers, his patents. I mean, not patents, but like whatever mm-hmm. was there to continue. And so in investigating all that, I discovered that uh, Dr. Barodi's name was on one of the patents, who was the pioneer of fecal transplant. And got to meet up with Dr. Barodi and said, by the way, I saw your name. So I was kind of playing in, you know, like an investigative journalist almost, or yeah. like in, I was doing investigative work, like detective right? work, detective work uh-huh. to kind of see what's going on. Right. <clears throat> and so little by little, I started my path of trying to understand the microbiome, realized that there were a lot of, you know, uh, things we didn't understand. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of non-science mm-hmm. out there. The mm. field exploded, right, with the whole microbiome, etc. But we at the academic level and as physicians on the front line of GI, we are not caught up to that. Mm. So that's when I opened the biotech company Progenobiome to understand the microbiome and wrote the protocols, um, hired a regulatory board like we do clinical trials. Uh-huh. And basically started 42 clinical trials on the microbiome and disease. Okay, now, now. just so you know, there's a whole, we got to back up. Okay, fine, because okay, I've because confused everybody <laughs> now. There's so much information, yes. and what happens is, I'm really, like, I'm an educator, and yes. as an educator, I'm always thinking of analogies and how I can get people yes. to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, when you were talking about the husband and wife, because my mind got stuck mm-hmm. there. Okay. That they're, you know... You're taking fecal matter from yes. one, put it in the other. Yes. They didn't get along. And I know it's not scientific, but did one of them take on the personality of the other? No, <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Okay. I didn't see that. Oh, I, I saw a rejection. When I see a re- when I say a rejection uh-huh. is basically, you know, the patient flushed out his whole microbiome and then had fevers and, and right. blood pressure. Okay. And there are risks to fecal transplant. Yes. We've noticed you know, because the same thing that can grow hair can also cause you to be bipolar, can also cause you to be suicidal, can also cause you to, mm. you know, to die. I mean, we've had cases wow. of death from fecal transplant. So, and when you do the fecal transplant, mm-hmm. how long before it takes 
Like if it has to incubate so, or how, how does yeah, that? Yeah. So you have to think, to put it in layman's term, like a garden full of mm-hmm. diverse plants. And then you remove the, the, the plants and then you see weeds and the weeds take over, right? Mm-hmm. So C. diff becomes like a weed. Just takes over. Takes over. So when you do fecal transplant, you're mm-hmm. essentially removing all the weeds mm-hmm. and you're replanting a new microbiome. Oh, mm-hmm. that was amazing. So, that was an great. awesome analogy. So gardening. Can I borrow great. that? Yeah, you can borrow that. So you're re. You're replanting, you're gardening. Our colon is basically a compost. So you know how you, when we do, mm-hmm. I'm a huge gardener, by the way, that's mm-hmm. how I know all this stuff. <laughs> so, and raise chickens, so I know all about the manure and everything. So when you do gardening and you're taking, you know, the green, the green uh, grass and everything, mm-hmm. and then you take your foods that are all spoiled and you put it in this compost bin and you're, mm-hmm. And you're mixing it all up, mm-hmm. right? And then eventually you get this beautiful, rich, dark earth. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in our colons is a compost. Right. So you're giving it salads. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bacteria in there that's just rummaging and eating those salads, right? Mm-hmm. So right. some people are sensitive to salads and they're getting gassy and bloating. That's really your bacteria at work, right? Mm-hmm. So then your bowel movement is essentially that beautiful, fertile, you know, uh, <laughs> microbiome that's keeping you healthy, right. really. It's a new way to look at and it. And then, so when you look at it's, it's gonna, it, it's kind of funny because I always, you know, I've been posting on Facebook and I'm always like, you know, with a bitmoji of the poop, right? And and <laughs> I, and, I and people, I have a friend of mine who um, calls me and he goes, every time I see anything with poop, I think of you. I go, well, <laughs> there you go. So the thing is, when you look at your toilet, right, and you look at that stool, uh-huh. if it's solid nice you feel good you're happy you're awesome right Mm -hmm. but then it's like little fragments or it's floating or it's not going down you're concerned right and that's the first thing that comes to mind so you're like i'm not feeling well or think about it people that are constipated Mm -hmm. bloated gassy Mm -hmm. i I hear that all the time right all the time Mm -hmm. so it all happens in the gut. Me and my husband, so my husband's a cardiologist, as you know. Of course, I ended up with the shitty job. <laughs> and he ended up with the heart the job, heart. the uh-huh. love, you know. Uh-huh. So it's like, go, go figure. Yeah. So anyways, so him and I, we always com- compare fields. And I always say the gut is more important. Mm-hmm. And he always thinks the heart is more important. Oh, so it's a battle. So it's a battlefield between us. But mm-hmm. I think the I gut would argue is more important. say the gut's more important. The gut's yeah. more important. I'm if you're you. not happy... Yeah, you're, not, you're miserable. And then you're talking about your the analogy with the garden, having yes. grass or having to take out the weeds. But we do have bad bacteria too. It's just that if your your good bacteria is healthier and can keep that bad population down, that's the key, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So it's not like you have to have or the goal is having the all good. It's just right. So I think as I've analyzed so many stool samples now, mm-hmm. I tend to look at bacteria not as good or bad. Mm. And you've seen it in my book, mm-hmm. but kind of like, you know, in between. Okay. Because some here's Clostridium difficile, for example. Right. So Clostridium difficile, we're starting to see more and more it's in people's guts, right? It's mm-hmm. an imprint in your gut. In fact, we sh- our lab took you know, the first 119 samples we took and we did, and those were samples from all over, you know, Italy, etc. Mm. And we noticed C. diff, that was the first thing that kind of like, because I'm so C. diff oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first thing I looked at in my gut was, because I took a look, we were the first guinea pigs, my family and mine, mm-hmm. to look at the stools. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I had C. diff and I said, well, it makes sense. I'm exposed to patients with C. diff. 
My colon right. is probably oh, colonized. Wow. You know, I've yeah. ex- you know, most likely that's what's happening, right? The whole colonization of your gut with C. diff, right? And then I saw it in my husband. I said, well, he's with me, so obviously, and he's working in the hospital, so probably that's how he got it. And mm-hmm. then my kids. But then I started getting samples from Italy and samples from, you know, we had a sample from India and a sample mm-hmm. from Saudi Arabia. And, and these and, are non-healthcare and these are workers. Not healthcare workers Uh and not and we have kind of um a level so when we analyze stools we take a specimen of stools that's the size of a fingernail Mm. and we basically see i mean we have the ability to see trillions of bugs but we only know of fifteen thousand to a hundred thousand bugs right in their microbes right so we see pretty much the whole surface of the microbiome with that little fingernail of poop or we go deep down into the ocean and see all the species. So we tend to go mm. deep down into the ocean to look at all the species. So we have a cutoff, and then we put it through a pipeline um, that basically analyzes those, that stool sample. We, we separate, we do what's called a library prep, and then we separate all these samples and then put mm-hmm. them to a pipeline that kind of finds which bacteria, lines up all the genetics of the bacteria, oh, right? the okay. genome. So we do whole genome sequencing, it's called, which is the whole gene of the bacteria. So we have the ability to see 10,000, 15,000 bacteria, viruses, we could see small viruses. So if we do a pipeline that looks at bacteria, we just focus on the bacteria. If we do a pipeline that just focuses on the virus, Mm -hmm. that's a different separate pipeline. Or we could do a pipeline that just focuses on COVID, for example, right? But then we just see mm. the whole genome of COVID. Of that. Or we see the whole genome of the bacteria or the whole genome of the virus, right? Mm. The viruses. So what's amazing is when, and then we put it through another pipeline. So we have like three pipelines <clears throat> we play with. And we see whether we're seeing them in all three pipelines. And then we, uh, bioinformatics pipeline, right? And then we, we, we gave ourselves a cutoff. We said, well... If we see a thousand copies of Clostridium difficile, for example, mm-hmm. then it's valid. Then we could say C. diff is in your gut, right? Okay. And so what we've seen from all these samples at a super deep level is that there is an imprint of C. diff, but, the, but C. diff is not doing anything, right? right? So like I don't have diarrhea, I'm not sick, mm-hmm. right? So my C. diff in me is in check. So C. diff that yes. used to be thought of as a mm. bad bug mm-hmm. is could also be a good bug, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so therefore we need to see the, is it in balance? And maybe because it's out of balance and right. you're allowing it like the weed to take, to over. take over, then maybe at that point um, it secretes its toxin to start mm-hmm. killing the host. Right. And so those are the questions, right? Those are the the things we need to see so this is why Mm. to me this is not a you know this is not a consumer product this is something that needs further further research and i always say we're mile one of three hundred thousand for the microbiome we need to understand and i always show a pie that basically says we know the one percent two percent is what we don't know and really 97 percent is what we don't know we don't know that's crazy we're in the abyss that's it. So that's what you said. That space. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. Mm. Uh, well, let me just throw this in. Yeah, yeah. Yes. When you, what is the difference between microbiome and microbiota? So it's a, because people are going. I still don't know what she. What is microbiome? Well, that's why I named it. Right. So I mean, you got to get. That's the book, why people. I <laughs> named it. Plain and simple, 
shit, right? <laughs> so it's, but when you look at, it's not only, you know, stools, obviously, it's all around us. It, in this space here, trillions of bugs are circulating. Yeah. As you're breathing and we're exposed to each other, mm -hmm. trillions of bugs are circulating. That's our immunity. That's Those bugs are doing something. What we are learning in COVID-19 mm -hmm. is that a virus shut down humanity. Who's in charge? The microbiome is in charge. The virus, the, the world of the microbes are in charge. Yeah. And so wow. we need to kind of transcend, transcend our lives mm -hmm. and basically step into that world of invisible and pay attention to that world because that world is living fully after humanity look mm -hmm. after the dinosaurs yeah. you know went extinguished the microbes are still around mm -hmm. these bugs that are in our gut are like billions of years old mm -hmm. you know the microbes started you know so in fact there's um they're doing um they're sending <clears throat> microbes in mars there oh, is wow. a there is a project to start a colony there well i mean it starts <laughs> with microbes right yeah. so so life begins with microbes and mm -hmm. then it, it grows. I mean, you see on a Petri dish when you put a, a mm -hmm. bacteria and you let it grow yeah. and it keeps growing and growing. Same thing with you have a piece of bread on your kitchen mm -hmm. counter and you let it, you know, go bad. Right. Well, the fungus is growing on mm -hmm. that. That fungus is actually microbes. Mm -hmm. You know, how was penicillin discovered? Fungus of a potato, yeah. right? That was, or an apple, I mm -hmm. can't even remember. But basically, you know, next to a Petri dish of a bacteria. Yes. And then they noticed, wow, the fungus mm. ate the bacteria, right? Or killed off the bacteria. And that's how antibiotics was created, right? Mm -hmm. So in a world of microbes, when we think of antibiotics, what are antibiotics? They're just microbes, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a world of disease, you have to look at the microbes. You have to pay attention to the microbes. So mm -hmm. I like to simplify it. But it seems like so odd. Like, and what I, what I mean by that is we know that the microbiome is very important. Right. Uh, but we use antibiotics that create disturbance with the microbiome. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know, right? We are, when we start, you know, science is always progressing, right? It, it's not... Um, it's not something that just stops, right? Yeah. Um, you always learn. We didn't know 20 years ago that when you gave antibiotics, you would get C. diff, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know, I, I, you know, I had a kid with ear infections as a child, and I gave her tons of antibiotics to the point that she became, you know, um, allergic to antibiotics. Mm. And, you know, it's, it, it was not easy for her you know, with certain things that I realized, it wasn't until now that I realized, wow, I kind of messed up her gut. Mm -hmm. And then I have another kid, I never gave any antibiotics, fit, eats whatever she wants and perfectly fine, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, had I had, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? right? Exactly. So you always know after the fact, like, oh, shoot, we didn't. But you need the antibiotics, right? Mm -hmm. When you're dying of strep pneumonia in the uh, in the hospital, when you have a pneumonia, you need your antibiotics. You C. diff is the last thing you're thinking of. Right. You're right. dying right there. So you need the antibiotics. So we can't really poo-poo the antibiotics because mm -hmm. when you need it, when you need medications, you need it. That's it. Right. So, But at the same time, we need to kind of also create the balance to right. say, okay, well, if I'm going to give my antibiotics, 
I need to give my probiotic with it. And not just any probiotics. Right. I need to make sure the right nutritional probiotics, right. Right? right? The right product, the right natural stuff. So because there's so many probiotics out there that are just, you know, non-tested. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the studies, mm-hmm. there's there was one study that showed that <coughs> out of 17 probiotics on the market, only two were actually what it said yeah, in I, the bottle, right? I have a question about that because a lot of times when you, let's say you're on a round of antibiotics and people t- always talk about, oh, you know, eat this or take these probiotics. And I'm hearing more and more that, majority of those things they don't even work can you explain why so if you go over the work. counter yeah so if or you go over the counter mm-hmm. pro- what's happening is that you notice that a lot of the uh, probiotics are not tested not regulated right they, they come right. from just whoever makes it right. you don't even and how know would some it. okay so how would someone the average consumer know like I would what? check. I would check the lab. I would check if mm-hmm. they came from an accredited lab okay. that has you know genomic work that is mm-hmm. doing genetic sequencing that is you know un, that it has an understanding of the microbes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also pick. I tend to pick the the foods myself when it comes to probiotics. So I'm a big, you know, manuka honey. I'm a big okay. um, kefir. I'm a big. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Activa yogurt. So those things are, okay. you know, yogurt. Uh, I mean, you, you've you talked about these on your mm-hmm. shows, yeah. right? Of all the products that are naturally in the food. Mm-hmm. Miso soup and coleslaw and all that. So mm-hmm. there are probiotics in our food. We just need to know which yeah, ones. See, I'm, not, exactly. I'm not a believer. Like, I mean, think about what someone mm-hmm. would need to do right. to find out if this lab is really producing what they right. say. Right, right. And then let's just say that it looks like they've done everything right. right. They got all the right certificates. Mm-hmm. Who's? I mean, how do we still know? Right. We don't. <laughs> I, I, I personally think that the F, that's one area where the FDA needs to start stepping it up to mm-hmm. investigate mm-hmm. and to look at these labs and to look at the quality and to do the clinical trials, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have so many probiotics out there on the market. And so they pass under the nutritional supplements right right but they're microbes so they're the equivalent to antibiotics right Mm -hmm. so so much of the new you know the natural medicine is passed under that path of nutrition supplement Mm -hmm. and doesn't get looked at and i think we should i mean listen right now when you look at vitamin c that's over the counter it's not even the real vitamin c so here's people taking vitamin c over the counter and it's not even real so I think there needs to be a little bit more oversight yeah. on these natural products yeah. because and people trust, right? They think, oh, I'm at CVS. I'm going to buy the CVS mm-hmm. brand of vitamin C. How do you know it's vitamin C, mm-hmm. right? It may well, not be. Explain yeah. to people, like, <laughs> so you have a capsule. So let's say Barbara has a probiotic. Right. Mm-hmm. She's like, I got my new probiotics. Hey, I'm, hey. I'm going right. to be healthy. I'm going <laughs> to thrive. And it's in, a, it's in a capsule. So the question would be, when oxygen hits yes absolutely so i want to know how did they get it in the capsule so without yes. oxygen well that and that, <laughs> that that's you've just nailed it right on right because bacteria is anaerobic right mm-hmm. bacteria in the gut is anaerobic yes so you're trying to mimic your gut but the gut doesn't breathe oxygen as soon as a bacteria comes from the gut to the air it's dead right mm-hmm. because otherwise imagine you know have these bugs that are in our guts would 
you know, create a lot of damages every time you flush the toilet. So mm-hmm. that'd be you a scary movie, we right? Do. So think about that. So <laughs> and, so gut bacteria. <laughs> the beast. <laughs> so in, so if you're trying to mimic the gut by giving it a probiotic mm-hmm. that is in a capsule, you got to make sure you figured out how to be anaerobic, right? Right. How to make sure that your product was the exact same thing as what's supposed to be in your gut. And so. then and then huh. it's got to travel right. a very long like way. What, time yes, release? Is it, is it, yes. is it time and release? You gotta, yeah, and then you got to make sure that it's not killed by the acid in your, your stomach. stomach yeah. So a lot of people are very anxious, right? And they build up acid, and then that kills off your probiotics, right, that you're taking. So there's a lot of things that, that need to be in check mm-hmm. for that to happen. So yes, you're yeah. right. But it's you were true. even touching on the fact that just overall nutrition and how you eat. Yes. That you can do so much important. with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. I, and I, I'm probably not the preferred physician uh, to a lot of patients because I'm very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I tell patients they need to lose weight. I refuse to give. So a patient comes in with that's 200 pounds mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. has heartburn. And mm-hmm. we keep giving these proton pump inhibitors, right, to mm-hmm. stop the heartburn. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, start losing the weight. Get rid of those extra pounds. You'll start feeling better, mm-hmm. right? So we, we are pushing, you know, because we've become a society that is quick fix. I want to get better right away. I don't want to suffer. Mm-hmm. So in doing that, we've kind of become victimized because we become the victim. Life is about being a warrior. You have to fight to stay alive Mm -hmm. right so you're not going to fight to stay alive by just giving a bunch of pills to your body you've got to toughen up you've Mm -hmm. got to you know exercise you know nobody likes to exercise right it's It's tough yeah it's not fun it's not fun to wake up in the morning and be on your treadmill and it's not fun to and believe me like i'm exhausted when i come to work i've you know i'm also you know i've my health and everything because I'm so busy with work and everything, I've lost that momentum where I used to be exercising. You know, I went. I used to be a ballerina, and I oh. used to exercise a lot. And then I've stopped. You know, medicine takes over, kids right. take over, life, and then you lose the momentum. It's so hard to get on that bike, right? It's so hard to create a schedule. And my girlfriend would say, "If you're brushing your teeth, get on that bike." But it takes that motivation. Oh, yeah. and it's, it's hard time. work. It's yeah. time. And then also putting a meal plan. It's hard work. Which is, yeah. Shopping for the right food. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. So these poor people that are 200 pounds and, you know, are working these hard shifts and raising families and they're, they're hungry. The first thing they're going to is McDonald's. They're not privileged to just have that lifestyle you know, accommodation, nice, fresh, say, food. fresh foods yeah. and everything. So I think that's a big problem. You know, we've we've pushed the limit. You know, people are working three, four jobs to keep buying stuff, right? To keep mm-hmm. giving their families, everyone a cell phone, right? So they're working super hard and they've stopped taking care of themselves. I, I'm myself the first, you know, person to look at and say, mm-hmm. I need to get back on in the gym. Like today when I came right. here, I said, I need to get <laughs> back to walk in. Yeah. Yes, like, I'm coming back, yeah. right? So I Mm-mm. think we need to, um, I think that's the first message, right? As And I think the role of physicians is to remind patients that we know what are the bad things. Alcohol, if you overdo it, you're gonna get yourself in the hospital. 
mm-hmm. right? I mean, how many patients have I seen that are alcoholics that keep coming back, vomiting blood, and mm. then you know it's a, just a matter of time till they're you know under the ground, right? Right. So I think we all know. So cut down the alcohol. You know, mm-hmm. one glass, two glasses, that's it, right? Right, be more active. Be more active, mm-hmm. be more selective. We know the hamburger, probably a hamburger a week is okay, but if you're doing two hamburgers a day, probably not a good idea, Barbara right? Barbara all hamburgers. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, but you know what? You know Knock it so off. Funny? Some people have the gut microbiome yep. that can handle. Like the steel gut? Yeah, my, my, my younger one who never got antibiotics will eat nachos, chicken nuggets, french fries, mm-hmm. uh, cheesecake for dinner, and you know, will never, will not gain a pound, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I, I joke with her, I go, eventually that microbiome of yours right. yeah. is gonna be messed up. But, right. you know, right now she can handle it and this is her, right? Now you have other people that eat, are, I have a patient, poor guy is like 800 pounds and he eats mm. a salad and he gains a pound and he's not able to lose it. And so in these people, their microbiome is so altered mm-hmm. that they, there's no way to go back, right? So it's the same thing with getting on that bike, right? right. It's so hard once you've stopped exercising to get back on that bike. But you have to toughen up to realize, okay, I want to live another 10 years, so I got to get on that bike and force yourself. Right. So with someone like that, that you're saying their microbiome is so off balance, right. is there a way for them to improve it by the way they eat? Or is it more at that point? severe that they have to start considering the fecal transplant or something like that so in my opinion probably that's the way but we're Mm. not there yet because in order to be there we have to show the fda that Mm -hmm. the science we have to do clinical trials so Mm -hmm. that's what i'm doing i'm doing clinical trials like right now my because we started analyzing the stools and we started seeing a lot of stools of patients with autism Mm -hmm. so there was a study from dr adams that came mm. out on fecal transplant and autism. And he realized that um, after two years, these kid, half of his patients, the patients reversed their um, their neurological problems wow. for autism, right? So- As a result of a fecal as, transplant. As a resu- well, not just one, but a whole protocol mm-hmm. uh, that was implemented, right? Wow. So that, that perked my attention. And of course, Dr. Barodi is behind all those you know, trials and was behind mm-hmm. the scene on all that. Mm-hmm. So, because he's the pioneer of fecal transplant. So when, so, and he would call me and say, by the way, you're going to be uh, having a lot of patients with fecal, tra- with uh, autism because mm. of this paper from Dr. Adams. And right. people know I do fecal transplant. So he was right. And so my first thought was, I can't do fecal transplant until I understand the microbiome of these kids. So we started doing a lot of, analysis of kids with autism um, discovered that actually there is a dysbiosis that occurs in them we had a case Hmm. of triplets uh, a couple cases of triplets actually and a couple cases of twins where we saw one twin is completely different than the other at the microbiome level interesting and so my thought process was well if one twin is completely different and the other one is so you know has so much diversity maybe taking one to another from the same family Hmm. would make sense, right? So we started putting the clinical trial to clinicaltrials.gov 
and we submitted it to the FDA. Mm-hmm. And so we're waiting, you know, we have to raise funds. Of course, nobody wants to invest in research that is essentially, um, you know, you, there's no product, right? right. It's uh. a procedure, right? So there's no product. So, but we're trying. So we're, you know, I know that uh, the there's a fecal bank in... Um, a fecal in bank. Minnesota, yeah, in Minnesota. <laughs> who is producing these capsules, mm-hmm. you know, anaerobically and, and properly by the book, et cetera. And, and they work with the FDA hand in hand. And so we're trying to raise funds for his uh, mission. And then we're trying to raise funds for our mission, which is the Microbiome Research mm-hmm. Foundation. Okay. So that's wow. basically what- And that's why people that's are gonna buy the book. Yes. Exactly. So, um, so I wrote the book for to sponsor the research essentially. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, Makes you know, sense. anytime I find myself gaining weight, Yes. I blame my mom. <laughs> and I only bring that up because <laughs> my microbiome comes from her, right? Right. Yes. Did you know that? Um, I, I only know that because you shared that with me that when you yes. chatted with Dr. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, yes. But so anyway. The majority, <laughs> the majority of microbiome comes from the mom. Right. So but, vaginal but is, is very imp- important. That yes. That's, that's why when you transfer the baby, when you when, deliver okay. the baby vaginally, yeah. you're giving out all these microbes. Oh, so what if you had a cesarean? Oh. So what they're doing, what OBGYNs are doing right now is they're delivering by C-section, but they take the microbes of the vagina and put it on the baby. Oh, wow. And actually, When did they start doing that? There's a huge movement now. They're they're doing Good. it, so they're 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 doing wow. it. So and then the other thing is like there's some you know to shit to take the microbes also of the mom's rectum area. Wow. So some OBGYNs are doing it. There's and does breastfeeding feed into that too, or not so much? Well, breastfeeding you're sharing the right. microbes. Yeah. You're giving mm-hmm. your good microbes right. to the child, right? And yeah. actually, it's fascinating because when you see the microbiome of the mother and the child. Uh-huh. Um, the babies, right? It's it's pure good bacteria. I mean, wow. it's like it's so beautiful wow. to see that a newborn. So I have I've analyzed a couple of newborns in my office compared to the moms, and um, you know, with thoughts of maybe using that in the future, etc., to help whatever disease, you know, Crohn's or etc. Wow, there's so it's fascinating. But you know, I'd hate to say we're in a world of fecal material. Uh, But, you know, we need to understand the science in the fecal material so we can take out of that the benefits, Mm -hmm. right? And just focus and zone in on that, right? Like what is, so we know that if you have a diverse gut, Mm -hmm. you're going to be healthy, right? But if you don't have a diversity and you've lost your diversity, you're going to be sick, right? And it's going to be showing in your hair, in your nails, in your, you know, your whole mental status. So all that uh, plays a role. So I think, you know, it's important. And, and I always kind of say humanity is beautiful because we're all different. Mm-hmm. If we start thinking that we need to take a pill of one person and giving it to everybody, then we're going to lose that diversity, right. Right? right? And that's the fear, right? When you think of fecal transplant and when you think of pills and in capsules, et cetera, what are we doing to the next generation? What are we doing to the microbiome? You know, are we mm. heading towards a society where the individual is lost, the individuality is lost, and we're becoming just, you know, one, one, one humanity. Right. So, so I don't know. That's I, yeah, I have a question. You were touching on a few things, but I was thinking of, if you've looked at all these fecal samples, is there a trend, do you see the similarity between, let's say, a household versus a county 
versus states. I haven't. Versus, I've not gotten into okay. that. It just it would that's, be interesting that's to gonna see. Be, so that's my goal. My goal is to ah. basically look at you know the whole planet. I mean, I, I'm very ambitious. Yeah, but well, and that's why I, I've I do want to. I want to go stepped back. into just the research of the mm-hmm. microbiome. So mm-hmm. when I went to your office, yes, you share with me a story that was just mind blowing. Yes. Uh, fecal transport uh, plant story yes. about a young boy. I forgot what he was. Crohn's dealing. disease. Yes. Yep. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. So we had a case, uh, a couple cases, um, probably more than a couple cases, eight cases of patients with Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, but initially, what started um, was two patients with Crohn's disease. That um, sorry, my phone is like buzzing so that's right we're real we yeah, keep it real here that's right fine. she's like yeah it's fine <laughs> is it's their not, poops okay it's it's okay it's not <laughs> i always you know is i'm shit going down or what shit's going I'm, down you know i'm dealing with covid so we're doing like uh-huh. three clinical trials on covid and we're looking at the stools of covid patients so you know my phone is always ringing so it's never it's, it's been non-stop since march so it's been crazy i bet so but I always check to make sure, okay, my patient's okay. Because right. yeah. I get texts of like oxygen saturation of 84%. Right. So you got to respond. You got to respond right yeah. away. So, um, yes. So Crohn's patients. So I had uh, two patients with Crohn's disease and C. Mm-hmm. diff uh, that were actually in a clinical trial. And mm. it, the, uh, the clinical trial was to give those patients antibiotics, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, for the, and we had a lot of patients in that clinical trial. The majority, you know, uh, one third did pretty well. One third, nothing happened. They remained on their biologics. And then one third ended up develop, which was those two patients, developed C. diff. Mm-hmm. So I had my first, you know, attempt at doing fecal transplant with C. diff because I tried antibiotics. I tried vancomycin. I tried flagell. Mm-hmm. wasn't working. So when I did fecal transplant with... Um, these two cases one of the cases started improving and actually i had i weaned them off prednisone Hmm. so which is what was kind of and this guy was on 40 70 70 milligrams of prednisone 40 milligrams of prednisone and Mm -hmm. he had c diff on top of that we tried the antibiotic clinical trial etc so you know it was one of those cases that and i videotaped the guy actually the kid because I called my friend Neil Stolman in San Francisco, who actually got me into this shitty business because he said the future is in the microbiome in shit. Yeah. And I said, Neil, uh, you know, I like to go into a colon that's clean. I don't like to play with it necessarily. So, um, so, but when you have to do something and you have to save a life, you're going to do what it takes, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I really don't like the field of the procedure itself, you know, because it is messy. And, yes. you know, I keep it as clean as possible. You know, I even put Noxema on my mask to remove this. You know, we keep it like spa-like as possible, but we oh, are wow. dealing with fecal material, right? right? So um, so the problem is when, when this happened with this kid and I sent it to him and I asked the kid to if I could send a video to my colleagues and I sent it to him. And that was the first time that he saw that. And he goes, well, you and Dr. Barodi, because Dr. Barodi also has that. So I hadn't even met. I knew of Dr. Barodi at the time, like up here, right? So two years ago, I'm at a conference meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, or three years almost. And um, I meet, and Neil introduces me to Dr. Barodi. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, and Sabine also <laughs> figured out that Crohn's disease has helped a patient of hers with Crohn's disease. Oh. I saw the video. 
And then he was like, what? What? Somebody else reproduced my data for Crohn's? Oh. So he had had like, you know, a couple dozen patients. In fact, he just published a paper on the Crapsule where basically he fixed Crohn's disease. <laughs> Crapsule. Crapsule, yeah, he I calls just, it. <laughs> He's I a funny it. guy. Uh -huh. He is a funny guy. So he... Uh, he produced, he basically has been treating patients with Crohn's disease mm. all along and he had a method. And so him and I, over the last, you know, couple years, we've been looking. He sent me one of his patients and I started analyzing the stools of the microbiome to understand what are we doing when right. we achieve a cure, right? Or an improvement. Uh -huh. What are we doing when the patient had diarrhea for years Mm -hmm. And they're no longer on biologics and prednisone, and they're improved with just fecal material, right? And so I started seeing what was happening in the microbiome. And then I mm. showed it to him, and I said, by the way, this is what's happening. And he was blown away. And then every day, I mean, we've talked for two and a half years now, every single day, two to three times a day, to the point that we collaborated with COVID treatment, uh, looking at COVID, we published a paper together uh -huh. on looking at the whole genome of COVID in the stools. You know, it's, it's that, I love that interaction. That's one of the beautiful thing about research is the ability to reach these geniuses that you look up to, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, here right. I am, I'm not academic, and I'm talking to Alex Kurutz at University of Minnesota, who oh, I cool. look up to who's a brilliant GI doctor, or Jessica Allegretti, or all these academics doctors. So they kind of joined my group, my not my group, but they kind of like, we all joined up together and decided, let's, let's see the data. Let's look at the microbiome. Let's mm -hmm. look at, you know, uh, clinical trials on fecal transplant. Let's, let's show the data at meetings. So we were supposed to do the Malibu microbiome meeting last March, oh, I mean this oh. March, and then that got canceled because of COVID. Right. But we became the Biome Squad, and we're all, you know, we collaborate, we talk to each other. That's mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful thing, I think, that's come out of this whole, you know, investigation for me. Now, look, but yeah. I, I'm, still, I'm still trying to get clarity on exactly what you did. I, like, I remember you told me with the kid that I think maybe one of his his relatives. You, yeah, so his, you took the fecal his, matter. Yes. You gave, I just want, I want people to hear that. Like, so I basically, I was treating C. diff, right? And um, I gave him antibiotics. And this kid was, was sent to me for, after seeing so many doctors for a clinical trial, okay? So he had mm -hmm. Crohn's disease <clears throat> from the beginning. I mean, I, I didn't put him, I didn't put the diagnosis of Crohn's disease. Um, but when he became Crohn's disease and C. diff, I basically took the best donor for him was his mom. So that I felt because, you, you know, we tried, you know, the we tried different other ways or different, you know, who's going to be the donor, stool bank, etc. Mm -hmm. And so we picked the mom and the mom was the donor. And actually, so he started improving his fecal calprotectin which is the marker for Crohn's disease improved. Wow. His Crohn's activity index improved. So there are markers when you look for Crohn's patients to mm. see, you know, you don't just trust the patient to tell you, oh yeah, I'm feeling great. Okay. You have to relook at things, right? Mm -hmm. So you do a fecal calprotectin, you do a Crohn's activity right. index. So there's objective, objective yeah, there's checks. A, for, so that when we do research and we show the FDA that a product is working, you have to have objective 
test, right? Right. And then you have to do a colonoscopy, right? And mm. see the before and after and, oh. and the pictures, right? So when you go from inflamed and ulcers and everything and then all of a sudden it's not so ulcerated and it's improved and it's actually a beautiful colonic mucosa something changed right wow okay. well let's so. shift, let's i want to shift now and thank you for sharing that <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. i find it <clears throat> it's fascinating it is. um i'm looking at the situation with covid yes. you treat you've treated and continue to treat covid patients right yeah yes yes and have you been pretty successful with that I would say so. <laughs> 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 well, you haven't seen my name in the news as right. I've been killed anyone. So, you know, my husband, you know, my husband is uh, used to work for the district attorney as a cardiologist. So he was basically, he doesn't like to defend me. So he always says, uh, are you sure you got a consent? Are you sure you did everything? Yeah. Like the FDA is holding my hand. Don't worry. In fact, yeah. the FBI office, you know, is right across the street, right from us. No, really? Yeah, it's on the, uh, it's across my street on the other up the street from my office oh whoa so across the yeah. freeway no it's oh, no, uh, okay, no. on on uh, oh, i know exactly yeah. where they are yes so, so they're okay. like this so like looking away from there they're watching or, you you know what actually i'm not afraid i i like the fed i've had the fda in my office i they're great agents they're doing mm -hmm. their job i'm not afraid of authorities you know right. i actually want them holding my hand yeah because guess what at least i know i'm doing everything by the book right exactly so those people that i believe you know say things and try to are scared of the fda that means there's something not kosher right. there yeah so i like the fda i've spoken at the national institute of standards Scott Jackson, who heads the microbiome research at the NIST, is a great guy, extremely ethical. He's very by the book. Um, you know, all those guys, NIH scientists are brilliant. So I think, you know, they just, we're all scientists, right? And right. we're all trying to understand. So I'm not afraid to step into the water, provided mm -hmm. I actually have them watching me, which is right. fine. It's perfect. So yeah, I'm doing three clinical trials wow. with them watching me. So we have, uh, and we're taking care of patients from all over the country. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's been hard, but we're we're not publicizing that anyway because I just I don't want to be you know bombarded. But we I've treated hundreds and hundreds of patients. Nobody's admitted to the hospital. Some sick patients with diabetes. Some you know, um, some sick patients with sleep apnea. So and they've. For the most part, nobody's died and nobody's admitted to the hospital. So I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. Now, now before we started recording, yes. you share with us a story, if you're yes. okay to talk yes, about yes, it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. About the, the two people that you treated and they didn't have COVID, but you gave them like a remedy. So we have three protocols. Okay. We have a prophylaxis protocol. We have two treatment protocols, right? So, And um, a person can actually contact your office or go to the website and buy that, right? They, there's no buying. It's part of a protocol. They okay. have to follow the protocol okay. because we're overlooked by the FDA. They have to basically, um, you know, uh, be part, write a, sign a consent. It's a 32-page consent. Uh, okay. Not everybody qualifies for the medications that we're giving, right? So it is a protocol. They have to wear a halter for 10 days. They So they have to be willing to participate. The challenge with uh, okay. these clinical trials is that people are extremely nervous when they have COVID. So they don't right. want, and, and, and they don't want to necessarily be in a con clinical trial because half of the people will get the sugar pill, right? Right. And unfortunately that's mandated by the FDA 
to see the data. Is the product working versus a sugar pill, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the challenge of these clinical trials. But we And so we have to watch them very carefully okay. because we have to anticipate that maybe they got the sugar pill and they're not responding, right? So we right. followed them on a daily basis for the first 10 days. Mm-hmm. And so we had a case where uh, it was a pediatrician, a woman pediatrician in uh, Alabama mm-hmm. who basically uh, contacted me. She's friends of mine on Facebook. And um, we gave her actually open label because we wanted to make sure it was compassionate use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was taking care of patients, etc. cetera. Um, and so she was, she responded. She actually responded, um, she responded, but her husband I prophylaxed on my protocol. And so he was at a party with 30 people and apparently uh, there was a super spreader in the party, <laughs> and all thirty people um, got got essentially uh, COVID. Like a positive. In fact, uh-huh. I'm treating thirty patients in Alabama wow. right now. So some of them, if they're too sick and they don't fit the criteria, we treat them empirically compassionate use. So if they otherwise, we put everybody on the protocol because it's just much easier for us. Oh, so there's them. like if they get too past if a certain sick, state, they have. So when we enter patients in clinical trials we have what's called inclusion exclusion criteria. So if the if they, the inclusion is obviously they have to have COVID okay. or they ha- the inclusion for the prophylaxis protocol is they have to be exposed to someone that, living with someone that has COVID. Okay. So this guy was living, he's a GI doctor as well. He was living with his wife mm-hmm. um, who had COVID. He was sleeping in the same bed. And so I said, well, what a perfect example, right? I'm gonna just prophylax him and then I'm going to treat her, right? So we basically put them on both. And then he went to a party and with his son, who I also had prophylaxed, mm-hmm. and 30 people that were all positive, and he is still remaining negative. Wow. That's amazing. So to me, that's, that says something, but that's a small, you know, so we obviously have mm-hmm. probably 100 patients like that that right. we've seen th- similar stories, right? But we need to show it to the FDA. We need to, you know, to have the data be seen. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the beauty of clinical trials is that when people sign consents, mm-hmm. there's open transparency. You can reach that patient and you can get the story. The story is going to be right there. So the FDA agent can at any point pick right. up the chart and say, let me call this patient just to see because right. you have to give them everything. Right, right? to verify. To verify. Mm-hmm. And that's how the FDA, let me tell you, I've been audited by the FDA and I've been audited by the European FDA, right? In oh. my office, which great agents again, but it's super stressful, right? They can call the patients, they can, they're looking at everything, right? Did right. you give, did you enroll the right patient? Did you mm-hmm. give the right drug? Did you deviate from protocols? So they're looking at everything. Right. And that's what you want. You want the FDA to look at everything. Mm-hmm. You want full transparency. Right. For example, you know, when something goes and gets passed into, a, uh, when a uh, drug gets passed, and I've been doing it for too long to know, right. that there's been due diligence. You know, the FDA agents look very carefully. There's a process, mm-hmm. there's a procedure, there's guidelines, ICHGCP guidelines, right? Mm-hmm. That are created not only for America, but around the world. We're actually united in the research front, we're, re- we're united all researchers Mm -hmm. we have a platform where we have like a hundred thousand 
researchers. That's how <laughs> I knew what was going on in India. I called a friend of mine who's mm -hmm. an investigator in India. Hey, what's going on in, in India? With COVID. With COVID. Uh -huh. Or China. What's going on in China? What's mm -hmm. going on in Hong Kong? So what's going on in Italy? I had connections in Italy. So right. I got to see what was happening. For example, one of the first thing you see, I'm big on the vitamins, right? And the first thing that I, I learned from Italy was vitamin D and vitamin C. So that was incorporated in my protocols right. because that was shown. Yeah. Then from China, zinc, right? So all these things, when you start seeing all these clues, you kind of create a protocol and say, I bet you you need A, B, C, D, E. You're not mm -hmm. going to make crepes with eggs alone, right? right. right. You need, you need all these ingredients. Same thing with the microbiome. When you're talking about fighting a virus, fighting a bacteria, mm -hmm. it's a recipe. How did we kill H. pylori? We killed H. pylori by three drugs. We didn't kill it by just one drug because we realized that to kill H. pylori to, or to sustain it so that it doesn't cause you to have cancer, stomach cancer, we have to give it three drugs, right? So it becomes hmm. a recipe. And that's what we need to start thinking of. What we learn from fecal transplant, what are we doing when we do fecal transplant? We're taking a whole bunch of microbes and restoring the balance, a new balance to the individual. Mm -hmm. But before you get to that process, you could restore the balance yourself, right? To avoid getting to that level. Right. Yeah. You know, so if you're gaining weight and you're now 800 pounds, you've destroyed all your microbiome. You need a new microbiome. Mm -hmm. But if you're approaching that five pounds weight gain, go back and look and say, okay, you know what? I need to, rest I need to, to be in check position, check yeah. and balance, right? And I want to so, ask, oh, uh, just a question, because I bet some of the, you were sharing a great, some great information about um, how you were treating patients prophylactically. And I bet a lot of people who are listening are thinking, well, what exactly is that? Because if, you know, there's a lot of people who panic, and right. are thinking, well, what can I do if, if, if there's anything that I can do to help prevent, help to boost? So I think one um, of the big you things. Made him super, he became Superman. Yeah, he, he became Superman. He walked into super the room. Right. Yeah, and, and, and I'll say, yeah, so, and that's it, right? So it's becoming Superman, right? So yeah. that's what we want, right? Or Superwoman. So yeah, woman. so yeah, one yeah, of yeah, the yeah. things, and I think, you know, Dr. Fauci talked about mm -hmm. vitamin D. Vitamin mm -hmm. D is very important. Mm -hmm. So how do we get vitamin D? from the sun, mm -hmm. right? So exposing ourselves to the sun. Mm -hmm. But of course, then there's the caveat, or you gotta put sunscreen and, and worry about <laughs> right. skin cancer, right? right. Wanna, yeah. So, but, but the thing is, vitamin D is very important. So mm -hmm. if you cannot get your levels to be, you know, vitamin D is important for decreasing colon cancer. Mm -hmm. Look at those two that died from colon cancer. You know, I bet you if somebody looked at their vitamin D level, they were probably low. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D is extremely low in the African-American population. Mm -hmm. Because think about it. You know, we think because we have dark skin, etc. And I consider myself in that category because I was mm -hmm. born in, in Morocco. Mm -hmm. So I'm North African. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always thought, oh, I'm olive oil and yeah. I'm okay. I can go in the sun. But really, I've stopped going to the sun. Mm -hmm. You know, my my... Mm genetics of my family and my my ancestors were you know in the sun all the time you right. know they were gardening they were raising chickens you know they were outside uh -huh. now we're we're homebodies and we go from our home to our offices yep. that are full of these lights right mm -hmm. and so what happens when you do that 
you're not exposed to the sun. Right. And, and because of our fear of getting skin cancer, we're not going in the sun. So now vitamin D deficiency is huge in this country. Wow. And so then increased colon cancer, increased prostate cancer, increased, you know, risk of catching COVID, right? So mm-hmm. at the very least, people should start boosting their vitamin D. Get your doctor to check a vitamin D level. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and see if you're low, supplement. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to do boluses. But I'm not going to give, you know, I, I'm never here to tell doctors how to practice medicine or to be doctors. I think right. every doctor has had their own learning and they have an MD degree or DO degree for a reason. And I think, you know, that those are the people you go to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what do they go to med school for? Right. Mm-hmm. There's no point. So in your work, yeah. you <clears throat> would say vitamin D is vitamin D something first, yeah. that you want to everyone would benefit. Yeah, from vitamin they could start doing that. Yeah. And, and then I think if you're taking, you know, um, then vitamin C and then um, zinc, of course, zinc. we actually created our own vitamins for the protocols, because when I went to vi- to at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> I went to CVS and you know how I am like suspicious of every product yeah so i said to myself okay this is uh how do i know this vitamin wasn't created in china right and the person has the virus and now it's in my vitamins exactly because that's where my mind goes how good is this crap yeah exactly (laughs) so and my you know i'm always like i'm always investigating right Mm -hmm. i'm always questioning i'm and probably you know people will you know some people love me and some people hate me because i'm always questioning i'm always the shit stirrer (laughs) in a way but that's my field you know you gotta stir you know i need to go to up i need to go to cvs with you so yeah so i'm (laughs) like i look at the label i'm like where's this made right Right. yeah so i called my pharmacist uh mickey fine Mm -hmm. in beverly hills you probably know mickey fine pharmacy i I do yeah so i called jeff gross who's the owner Mm -hmm. they've been around for like 50 years practically yeah and i said can you make me a vitamin with vitamin c d and zinc in there and he said yeah and i said i want to put it in all my protocols so this way at least i have Ah. the same vitamins for everybody in my protocols because that's one of the things the fda looks at is Okay, well, how do you know that like, the vitamin C from CVS or this? So I had right. to create my whole formula. Ah, and smart. so basically, we be, we um, were doing the clinical trial with these vitamins. And so these vitamins, you know, on the most part, you know, my kids are on it. My Everybody's on it in my family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been Barbara, on it. your mom is on it. Yeah. 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 So, my mom and dad. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, is this the answer? Should everybody be on these vitamins? No, we need to see the science. We need to have the FDA look at right. the data. We're not ready for the FDA yet. So, you know, mm-hmm. I hope they're not <laughs> coming in tomorrow because yeah. I'm taking time off. But um, but basically, <laughs> that's that's what we want to show the data. That's okay. It's all that's about interesting. showing the data. So well, interesting. Let's talk about the book. Yes. Right. Yes. So we're recommending people get the book. Yes. As when you, you walked into the office here, Lacey was like... Love the Let's book. talk shit. Or I think <laughs> yeah. she needs to get a yeah. She needs yeah, yeah. a copy. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when did you come up with the idea of writing this book? If you ask my husband, I've been speaking about writing a book for years and years. Mm-hmm. And um, initially, it was supposed to be it's just gas because <laughs> I was tired of patients coming into my office and saying, "Doc, I'm six months pregnant. Look at me. I'm bloated. I bloating is a huge problem, right?" Uh-huh. And so I thought of writing the book because gas 
is a gastroenterologist problem, right? So we hear all about gas all day long. So I, <laughs> I thought of writing that book. And then when the microbiome came on and I started going into the path of the microbiome, um, interestingly enough, I got acquainted with Shelley Ellsworth, who's one of the authors. Mm -hmm. And Shelley is an amazing you know, author who's written, you know, books and her sense of humor is like mine. So we basically started talking and I said, you know, I have this book, it's just gas and, you know, I need to put it into let's talk shit. <laughs> and can we, can I just guide you and can we do this together? Because I'm so busy with patients and clinical trials and I'm always a hurricane doing all these things, you know, the biome squad, the Malibu microbiome meeting. And, you know, I'm always doing 25 things at the same time, but I can't seem to sit down I can review and edit right. and things like that, right. but I'm not like, you know, sitting down at a desk and writing. So I had done a lot of it. And, uh, and basically she's like, sure, I'll help you get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> and then next thing you know, I said, well, we've got to have Dr. Barodi. I mean, he's the pioneer. He started all this. Right. And so he agreed and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll review everything and I'll see what you, you ladies wrote together and mm -hmm. everything. And, uh, and then next thing you know, we have it and it's out. And it was more to educate people because I, you know, I didn't want people to think this is the standard. You should start doing fecal transplant mm. at home or, you know, <laughs> right. to fix your Alzheimer's or whatever. That's definitely not it. it there's dangers. Mm -hmm. It is microbes. It is biologics. It is something that's, you know, again, anaerobic living, you know, in dark spaces with no oxygen. So. Right. It's got to be done properly. It's got to be understood. It's got to, it's science, it's research, mm -hmm. and you've got to have a discussion with your physicians. But I think my goal is to get the GI doctors, the GI community to embrace the protocols of fecal transplant in the future right. and to say, okay, well, we're seeing something in one study rather than pushing a pill. Why don't we just yeah, yes, there is a role for pills because like you said before, mm -hmm. there are people that you don't have donors, right? So right. it all coexists, right? If there is a truth in this, if it, it all fits. So some people will benefit from the fecal banks and some people will benefit from, you know, if there is a company developing a product and mm -hmm. some people will benefit from the patient-doctor relationship mm -hmm. and knowing who their donors are. Right. So I think it all can live together. You know, when when but every time that's something that's new everybody's scared of course and you know when we started with emails we thought the post office was going to go bankrupt right but here we have the post office being busy and we're overloaded on our right. emails so both can coexist it doesn't have to be one versus the right. other it's like a holistic approach yeah and mm -hmm. i think listen also at the end of the day we want to achieve healing so mm -hmm. if healing is achieved by a meditation by a nutritionist, by a healer, by a physician, a DO, a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. Great. That's all that matters. The moment we stop, we start interfering with that relationship, mm -hmm. with the relationship with your priest, for example, or your rabbi, we create a problem, an increase mm -hmm. in mental health, for example, right? Because now that person that was so edgy and had mental problems, doesn't have anybody to talk to, right? Mm -hmm. His rabbi, his priest was a psychiatrist, right? Right. So, or we interfere with the psychiatrist and the patient. There's a problem, right? Yeah. So I think it all can work as long as we le leave the freedom of choice of the patient 
to choose the path that they want to go. I myself, I'm, you know, geared more towards holistic, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's probably what attracts me to this. Yeah, it's almost like looking at the whole truth versus just trying to be right. Right. It's not about you know, one. I've always one said it's not a one pill fits all. Yeah. If it was a one pill fits all, we would have cured diabetes. We would have cured Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. We would have cured autism, etc. It's not. Now, who, but mm. who is the book for? <clears throat> the book is, is for the public. It's for okay, everyone. There we go. It's for, yeah, it's, so it's people at home are going. This is too much. I'm, I'm not understanding. <laughs> no, it's for the public. These are new words and yes. terms. Is this? Do I need to be a doctor to get this? Yeah. No. You wrote this to help educate to help your educate. patients. And we made and it very, you know, very non... It's uh, fun. It's a fun it's read. It's fun mm-hmm. read. Yes. yes, it's a fun read. It's it's uh, reaching the, the public to kind of say, okay, this is... You know, kind of like the example of the weeds, right? And the mm-hmm. garden. It's mm-hmm. kind of putting it in layman's term so people can visualize it. So they're not so... Because I think too much of science is has become so complex. You know, I can sit here and talk medical, but then you're not... It's going to go over your head, right? right? So, you know, I can talk about dendritic cells and IgG and IgM, right. but you're going to go, what? Say what? Yeah. So I think it's important to come back to explaining it to the patient because mm-hmm. not everybody has had a microbiology class not everybody right. has done biology period mm-hmm. and so i think everybody needs to we we've you know especially in marketing we tend to market a lot of things and people are buying into this mm-hmm. without understanding so i think it's my job my role as a physician um to educate but in layman terms because right. i think we as physicians have lost the attention of patients and I think because we've made it too complex, I think we as physicians have stayed too much, you know, behind our desk. We've been, listen, I have a tremendous respect for doctors uh, because they're overworked, they're working front lines, and they don't have time to sit with their patients and explain the risks versus benefits mm. for an hour. And think about it, everything has crushed the medical field, has destroyed the relationship between the patient doctor relationship right so mm-hmm. people come from the for the miracle pill yeah and they're like oh i went to my doctor and he didn't know what i was talk what he didn't help me and oh my god they're so you know and then they they start criticizing the physicians right but really because the whole field has been so destroyed with electronic medical records and sitting typing in front of on a desk where the patient is in front of you, right? Mm. When you used to have a relationship with the patient, you used to know who your patient was, right? Mm-hmm. And you used to exchange, I still do actually, because I'm kind of that old fashioned <laughs> physician, but you exchange healthcare for like eggs, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and those are the patients you develop a relationship with, right? It's the, the sensitive patients. But when you have a patient that's coming in and it's like, well, I expect this, this and that. And, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't write me this prescription. And, you know, oh, I, right. I, I hate this doctor because they didn't write me that prescription right. and they're so whatever. It's not the right way. It really needs to be an understanding, a patient-doctor relationship, whoever you have that relationship with. That's why too often patients go to naturopath, healers, nutritionists, mm-hmm. because they sit down, they listen, they take their time, but et cetera. So well, I think, well, we I think when yeah. you, when, <clears throat> what, make, what you made me think of is the root meaning of the word doctor is to teach. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the work of Hippocrates, right? Yes. It was very clear yes. over 2,000 years ago yes. that disease mm-hmm. begins in the gut. Yes. 
and you fast forward to where we are now, right? right? That's all right. still preliminary. Yes. But do you think in a hundred years or a thousand years, we're still on this planet, mm-hmm. that they'll look back at us and go, they had no idea what right. they were doing. Right, they didn't know shit. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they didn't know shit. Right. Well, they may, they, may say, they may say that Dr. Heezy, she, she was on right. it. She was on it. She was ahead of her time. She was on it. But yeah, I think, I think you know, that's exactly, you know that, that I'm a big Star Trek and Star Wars fan. Remember that uh, there's an episode and I demonstrate that in my lectures uh, where uh, the doctor from um, Star Trek goes in and he basically, the patient has kidney failure, mm-hmm. and he sees her on a stretcher, and he goes, "Who are? what's going on here? And she's like, oh, kidney dialysis. And then he goes, kidney dialysis? How barbaric. Here, take a pill, <laughs> right, and right. you're going to be fixed? Well, that's probably the future. So yeah. I always tell my pa- I always give the lecture, and I get... This is the future, but we're not there yet. Yeah. So we're a bunch of bar- a bunch of barbarians. <laughs> you know, we're cutting and all that, and the future is going to be different. So, but yeah. you know, hopefully that's the future. You know, you know, I would hope that we can step away into more innovation and and fixing the body more naturally, uh, more. You know. Well, you know, mm-hmm. like for me, <clears throat> when I every time I think of microbiome, I think of the foods I grew up eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, my mom ate those foods. My sister ate those right. foods. Mm-hmm. And I had no problem. And I'm talking about some deep fried southern right, right, stuff. Right. Right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so my microbiome was totally ready, right? Because I got it from my mom. And my right. mom ate a lot of the same foods that her mom ate. Right. Do you, I mean, you see where I'm going? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the first clues that the microbiome was given from mother to child mm-hmm. for me was the fact that for my kid, the, my first child, my, uh, my oldest child, I was craving vegetables, yogurt, healthy food. And that's all she eats. <laughs> my youngest one, I was craving McDonald's french fries, chicken nuggets. I blame her for gaining my weight <laughs> because I gained the weight and she lost and she's losing it. Um, but that's all she eats. That kid is strictly eating the foods that I was craving during her pregnancy. And if you talk to and a to lot this of, day, to this oh, day, to this day. Yeah. So when you talk to parents, to moms, they'll tell you, yeah, you know what? I was craving this when I was pregnant with you. It was almost you were giving, she was giving you the nutrient, the bacteria, the microbes that you were needing. And wow. that's why you're eating the foods that, so yes, you can blame your mom. Oh, <laughs> how funny. Yeah. I was talking to someone once and they said that, you know, in my household, we never ate spinach. Right, mm. right. And then I moved to the States. This person was from India. And my wife, that's all she wants to eat is spinach. And I kept telling her, sweetheart, I don't think this is healthy for me. She goes, it's spinach. What do you mean it's healthy for everybody? Right. And the reality is all foods aren't healthy right. for everybody. So, right? so, okay. And I learned that in 25 years as a GI doctor, probably approaching 27. 20, 25 years, and we'll say to just be younger. Uh, <laughs> um, I We noticed that, right? So we noticed that um, when you give, I have patients that come to me and they change their diet. Somebody told them, oh, you should start eating oatmeal right. every day, right? And then they eat oatmeal and they come in and all of a sudden they have celiac sprue, gluten mm-hmm. problems, yeah. right? 
And and I take the history back because I noticed that. I go, what happened? Oh, I started eating oatmeal and all these seven breads, seven seeds, breads, etc. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, for that person, that's not the right thing. So vice versa. I When my patients, you know, as a GI doctor, one of the big things that I used to do is asking diaries of patients. Mm-hmm. What are you eating? What foods are you eating? And then I would kind of correlate the foods with the symptoms. So I would do the timing of mm-hmm. when they would eat. I would do the foods and then I would do the symptoms. Right. And inevitably you can kind of see the foods traveling into the bowels by the timing and then you could correlate it and you pick pinpoint. Wow. And, I'll, and it's so funny because, you know, one of my critics, you know, one patient I ended up doing, I always do a million dollar workup as a doctor because you always want to miss, you don't want to miss something, right? right? I mean, we've been programmed as physicians to, Look at everything, not miss anything. Because if you miss that colon cancer, or if you miss yes. something, then you have a lawyer at your ba- in your office, right? Right. So I always would do the full workup of these patients. And then afterwards, you know, you kind of look at the foods and you say, okay, you know what? It's definitely dairy. Mm-hmm. And then you stop the dairy. And then the patients would be like, I did all that workup and all it is is dairy. Right. Why couldn't you tell me that from the beginning? But unfortunately, it's a process, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of like playing detective again. You know, you rule out all the right. bad stuff. And then you say, okay, well, you know what? The only thing I found out is your dairy. So stop the dairy. Now, you know, because when patients come to the GI doctor, it's a different story. They don't come to a primary care doctor to right. stop the dairy first and to stop the nat- neutral. Right, they have a problem, they have symptoms. They have mm-hmm. symptoms, they have problems, so they're coming to you to make sure you don't. they don't have something worse. So I think it's our job to make sure. Yeah, so that's a real fancy elimination diet type thing, right? I mean, I think at the end, yeah. So you kind of like look at all the clues and you figure mm-hmm. out the diagnosis. I had a patient that um, is severely autistic child. Mm-hmm. And um, when I looked at his microbiome, it was there was nothing in there, like no bacteria whatsoever, like three groups of bacteria, that's it, right? Wow. And then when I took, went back and take the history from the mom and I said, how was your pregnancy? What was going on? And, you know, did you look at your placenta? And then she said to me, huh, you know what, the placenta looked really diseased. And that was a clue, right, that kind of said, you know what, that's what happened to this kid, right? Wow. Something happened, maybe there was a you know, loss of circulation to the placenta that stopped the placenta moving and going to the kid. Wow. Nourishing the kid. So we have to be, you know, and of course, again, you know, there's, that doesn't mean I was right. That doesn't mean I'm right. It's all hypothesis. Everything is Mm -hmm. hypothesis, is is a hypothesis Mm -hmm. until you reach a cure or until you reach an understanding that's so concrete that you cannot Right. You can't deny it. You can't deny it. So one of the things when we do our clinical trials for COVID is to look at the baseline before we treat the patients to identify the virus, mm-hmm. whole genome, and then to look at it, does it disappear? You can't contest that, right? Right. If you see a virus that disappears after you give it something and you, d- you had it at the beginning and it's in gone. your stools and it's gone now, that's black and white. I mean, that's like, that's as clear cut as can be. So that's right. my hope. My hope mm-hmm. with my research is really to have that black and white picture to kind of say, look, I had this at the beginning and I had this at the end. That's what happened, right? So that's yeah. why the interest in the microbiome 
to understand a little bit better, not to just put mud on the wall and expect it to stick, <laughs> but to understand to say, how does the mud stick? What is making the mud, this mud stick to this wall and this mud not stick to that wall? Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. So, no, well, you know, there's a, there's a quote I want to share with both of you. It's and, um, and it kind of takes me to a question I want to ask. And then we're going to do rapid shoot. We're going we're gonna to okay, throw some yes. questions at you. Um, Thomas Edison said yes. this. He said, the doctor of the future will give yes. no medicine, but will interest his patient in the care of the human frame and diet and in the cause and prevention of disease. Yes. So at the end of the day, would you agree that all of us must take responsibility and be aware of what's going on in our body? Yes, one hundred. And if your poop is changing, mm-hmm. you may need to give your doctor yes, a call. Yes, or absolutely. I think uh, I give in my lectures. I start with all these quotes. Oh, I nice. start with Hippocrates that says, "Nice, yeah, I love all it. disease begins in the gut." And then I finish with, um, "It's all research. If we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be called research." Right. Albert Einstein. <laughs> so I think that's the most important message, right? It's all research. When somebody tells me, "Oh, you should eat beets." They're good for you. I say, well, show me the data. My, <laughs> I was very Touché, well trained. Yeah. I was very well trained at University of Florida in Jacksonville and in Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami by these amazing physicians that I have tremendous respect for that used to always say to me, because I would say, well, you know, lisinopril for this patient, right? And, he, and they'd be, show me the data. Love it. So uh-huh. the quote stayed on. And anybody, because, you know, I, I work with a lot of naturopaths in Malibu, and they always come and they show me these, <laughs> you know, products that I should be giving my patients. And I always say, show me the data. Right. Now, vitamin D, there's enough data out there there's that I can say, yes, with Here confidence, vitamin D, boost your vitamin D. Exercise, there's enough <laughs> out there that says go exercise, right? Right. Meditation, calm down your system. There's enough that I can confidently say, go calm down your system and stay at peace, etc. right? Mm-hmm. I think we get into a, a problem when we start pushing stuff that we don't have concrete data on. And, and data, and I always say this to everybody that listens to me because at the end of the day, the data needs to be valid, verified by someone and reproducible. Mm-hmm. That means if I'm doing, the, if I'm doing a, a sample, a stool test, right? And it's valid. I see it in my lab. Okay, it's making sense. It's valid. It was verified by someone. And then we have to reproduce the data. That means this stool sample, if I test it today and it shows me ABC, tomorrow it needs to show ABC. And if I give my formula on how I got ABC to another lab, they should be able to give ABC. Because think about it. And that's the whole push why I wrote this Mm -hmm. book. The microbiome needs to be standardized. It needs to be a standard, like a CBC. You go to a lab, you Mm -hmm. have your hemoglobin checked, right? Mm -hmm. And the hemoglobin is 12. Well, you don't want to go to another lab and your hemoglobin is 7. Then you're going to need a blood transfusion, right? right? So it's got to be valid, verified, and reproducible. Oh, my God. I love love it. Well, (laughs) show me the data. So what we do, because Barbara's a nutritionist and and we teach the method called diet free life. And we say all the time that we're clinically proven. It's Mm -hmm. evidence based. Yes. Because when we did our study with Aetna and Mm -hmm. the goal was to work with a thousand people, we ended up working with about four thousand and we did it in five different counties. Right. So exactly what I had demonstrated. Right. They all 
the outcome was the same everywhere. It's reproducible. Yes. Boom. Boom. I know Boom. it's like, geez, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, when you reproduce the data, think about it. You show a, a, a coach how to mm-hmm. get amazing abs, okay? Mm-hmm. And then he does it for his clients. You have amazing abs. That's it. The val- It's valid, verified, and reproducible. Love it. That's it. Now we have about 10 minutes. Okay. So what we like to do is we're going to ask you some questions. Yes, I got a great one. As fast as you can, we want you to answer it so we can get as many of these um, as possible. Go for it. You want to go first? I'll go first because this one's very scientific. (laughs) Oh, boy. So actually, yeah. Is it better if it floats or if it sinks? (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to have floaty stools. You want it to stick to, 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 to sink, to sink. Yes. right? So to because sink. of the fat, the fat absorption, uh-huh. fat malabsorption, right? Yes. So a lot of it comes down to that, yes. right? Yeah, yes. but See? it could be something you're taking. So because it's fast, we're not going to get into all that. But that's right. There's a whole differential diagnosis. You want a on sinker suit? If you have floating stools, go see your GI doctor. Okay. See? Yes. Mine always sinks. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I got a sinker. Solid. <laughs> Solid. As a Good. rock. Come yeah. on. Good. Right. It's like it's like a preemie almost, right? And okay, you don't want to have a rim around the toilet either. That's not a good sign. So a rim? You know when you flush the, the stools, you don't want to see that rim around the toilet. That's ah. part of floating stools too. Ah, oh. there Fat you go. absorption. Okay, Ooh. got go. it. Your yeah. turn. You better. Um, no, this I'm is good. Like, this I is like sinker. multiple choice. Okay, go. There's no multiple choice. Yeah. If there was one thing that you would want people to get from this book and even our conversation, what would yes. that be? Question everything. Just because it's on TV or said doesn't mean it's real. Um, question everything. Trust your gut. For doctors, and patients to have that relationship, to have a patient-doctor relationship, uh, for to for patients to be patient with their doctors and mm-hmm. for doctors to be patient with their, their patients. Um, I think that's one of the messages. I want to rebuild that relationship. I want doctors to be on the stand again. Um, and in fact, you'll see, I'm speaking on your show, but moving forward, it's gonna be all GI doctors that have read my book, because I don't like the camera. So <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm very private. I try to stay as private, but I, I realized that I needed to step into this to start the ball rolling. So I'm doing that. But that's basically, and also understand that diversity is beautiful and creates health and loss of diversity. And that's the poetic thing about the microbiome creates disease. So we need to embrace diversity. We need to embrace diversity as a race but also in our microbiome. It's not, don't stick yourself to one diet of one color. You need multiple colors. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing, to me, medicine is not black and white. It's multiple colors on your tray, right? So I think that's, that's the message that I want people. Look outside the box, go mm-hmm. into the abyss to understand, understand um, the microbes, understand antibiotics, understand vaccination, understand all that. So that's it. So my next question has to just do with food. And so let's say you go to the grocery store and there's all these options available to us, fortunately. And you're looking at, let's say, chicken. And some packages say contains no antibiotics. Yes. How important is looking looking at that for? Okay. Huge. I mean, I think, you know, I I had kids that had C. diff, right? Mm -hmm. And when you take the history, you find out it was the hamburger they ate that Mm -hmm. probably was full of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until Uh recently that the FDA stopped all farms from giving antibiotics to Mm -hmm. our meat, 
mm-hmm. and 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 uh, chickens and all that. And also vice versa, you know, I think chickens that run free give better eggs, right? Mm-hmm. Chickens that are cooped up to just mass production are not healthy eggs, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. Because remember, the microbiome comes from the mom mm-hmm. and the eggs comes from the mom. So, you know, all that is very important. So... Yes, the whole organic movement and everything has a purpose. So mm. okay. Okay. now as people become more knowledgeable with the microbiome, yes. gut bacteria, you're starting to see a, a, a rapid increase of people buying probiotics. Yes. And in my understanding, if the probiotic isn't the probiotic that is being marketed, it could create some havoc in your microbiome. Correct. So one of the things, um, if you look at the Amazon jungle, and you look at their microbiome, they actually have no bifidobacter. And yeah, these are people that basically are living in the forest, There's, they're away from civilization, right? The Amazon jungle. And when you look at the microbiome, there's no bifidobacter. Yet here in this country, we're so big on bifidobacter, right? right? Probiotics, bifidobacter. So is there, did something happen that we all of a sudden need these bifidobacters for us. Wow, that's impressive. When the rest, when the people that are in nature living in, you know, the Amazon jungles have nothing, right? And yet they're healthy. They don't have heart disease. They don't have diabetes. They don't have any of that, right? So, you know, I question all that because, you know, we've obviously altered our microbiome. And I'm sure, you know, if we had stools from, you know, hundred years ago it probably looks a lot different than our stools right now when you think some of Hmm. that is the push for us to consume dairy you know i don't know i don't know know, with so many people lactose intolerant well i think i i always tell you know patients after 50 to stop dairy because Hmm. you, you know it's just not really beneficial and a lot of patients tend to have a lot of gas from it and a lot of GI problems from the dairy, so that's the first thing of elimination. Oh, that's why your that's your mm. problem. What's yeah. that? <laughs> and then and then the other thing is lettuce. You know, I'm not a big fan of like a lot of lettuce because of the fact that there's a ton of you know lettuce is wide open. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of insect you know pesticides, oh. and there's a ton of you know microbes that sat on it and everything. So in fact, when you look at the microbiome or when you look at the sequencing of green green lettuce it's so there's so much it's unbelievable i mean it's like you know it's huge it's very difficult to um to do library preps on these samples it's very difficult to identify you know we i had the the brilliant idea one day to give to tell my uh, scientist i want to look at the stools of camels apes and uh and animals right and donkeys Mm -hmm. and all that so i started collecting stools of you know, camels, and and lo and behold, it was so much work because there was so much, because they eat, you know, they don't eat meat, they're mm-hmm. grass right. eaters, right? So it was just so much bacteria in there that it was just very fascinating. In so. a good mm. way or not a good way? Well, I mean, you know, if you've got a lot already and, you know, it's not, you know, it all depends on your own signature of your gut, really. So I take so. it you don't eat many salads. <laughs> no, I yeah. you know I went to a spa. I went to a so my my background is you know Morocco, North African food, Mediterranean food, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my comfort food. Like I'll eat couscous and the soups and all that, and that's my comfort food. And yeah. I and my my body adapts really well to that, and I'm pretty healthy. 
I went to a spa, uh, which was like all vegan. I was so bloated. I needed, <laughs> I needed heating pads because my body does not tolerate that kind of food. Now, probably if I stick to it, but you know, I'm healthy for the most part. I have good hair, good nails. Yeah. I don't have any diseases per se. I just need to lose some weight. But mm -hmm. other than that, I just, I'm good, right? So why do I want to mess up what I was born with? And right. people also live longer in my family. So uh -huh. why do I want to mess that up, right? So, so that's the thing. So that's why the important thing on this book is to kind of remain true to yourself, to understand what feels good, what doesn't feel good. You know, that's, that's the mm. message. Individualism. I like that. Is mm -hmm, the, and everybody, it's not a one pill solution. That's right. it. Okay, Barbara, you, you want to do the, the last question? Let's see. Um, well, it kind of ties. Yeah, I guess I'll have one more. It ties into <laughs> that you're talking about food and changing food. Let's say someone who wants to start eating more vegetables and a yes. variety of fresh yes. foods like that, but they're normally they, they don't, and they find when they start eating it, they do have a total upset. Right. How can they gradually get into that? Is it worth it for them to even try to push for that? Well, I you think, know? yeah, I mean, I think start small and mm -hmm. continue and just small portions little by little and see if you tolerate it but mm -hmm. if you don't tolerate it you know mm -hmm. there's no and it doesn't give you any benefits you're having a good bowel movement mm -hmm. without it you know why change what works right mm -hmm. you don't fix what's what's not broken right right so to me if it ain't broken don't fix it mm -hmm. if it ain't broken don't start asking for problems right right and so much of our psyche and so much of like what how we feel is how you know how we feel right what mm -hmm. we're putting in our brain to function in the morning right and see like mm -hmm. when you hear that like we just did a yeah. show and we were talking about one of the biggest challenges for other nutritionists in our space dietitians is that they don't understand how to meet people where they are mm -hmm. they want people to eat what they like right yeah you know what i mean yes yes and that's that's that doesn't fit because one, you're not going to have a compliant patient. Right. You've yeah. got to work with what they like, but you've got to diminish the the quantities. So mm -hmm. more of what they like and kind of decrease it a little bit because it's a it's an addiction, right? Someone that eats ten donuts a day is addicted. His microbiome is craving the donuts. His mm -hmm. microbiome is craving the Diet Coke, right? Mm -hmm. I used to be a huge <laughs> Diet great, Coke. Great point. Craving, right? And then I stopped because I'm like, oh, my God, I, I, I would dream of that can opening and the fizz and, the, and all that. Yeah. And I, it would be like an addiction, right? And then I stopped completely because I said, this is so bad for me. <laughs> and, and I would know I was anxious and I was like, you know, my heart started palpitating and I didn't yeah, want to see my like husband. withdrawals. <laughs> no, so I stopped it completely. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden when I stopped, like a month later, I can't even look at Diet Coke. Complete withdrawal. But it mm -hmm. was an addiction. Why? Because my gut wanted mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. So you can change. You can make these changes, but you got to make them slowly. Mm -hmm. Or you just tell the patients to cut cold turkey. So someone that's eating 10 donuts a day, mm -hmm. got to cut that, right? So yep. you go slowly. So you go. The meat eaters, you know, there's people that need to eat meat. You know, you need and, and, and you know, you got, if you want to get them to the meatless area and they tolerate it, you've got to, you've got to do it slowly. But at yeah. the same time, you know, I need to see more data on that. 
I need to see the microbiome of that. Right. And and I've seen I've seen the data with like the athletes and people that are like the gladiators that used to to eat that were vegan basically for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I saw uh, the mo- that movie. I forgot the title of it. What the health? I think. No, which one? The one with. Um, Anyways, it was about the gladiators and the wrestlers that basically went all vegan and they started filming them and how great their cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And I, you see the blood spinning mm-hmm. and the cholesterol that's in the blood. And then when oh. you go vegan, you basically see the clear blood, the serum, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen all that. But the thing is, I'm, you know, I still think there's a need for a little bit of meat or a little bit of diversity. Um, and we need to see more studies on the microbiome on that. So mm. that's what I'd like to see. But those are studies that are, you know, I would love to have someone sponsor mm. and basically get that yeah. to show the data. What does it do to the microbiome? Is it making me better mm-hmm. or is it me- making me worse? I'd love to see those data. Well, you guys, we can help you. Thank because you. Because she's not trying to become a multimillionaire selling this book. Mm-hmm. No. Buy this book and it go- and all the money goes to research. Yes. Mm-hmm. And education is king. So help yourself. We help what you're doing. Thank you. We thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you.